Providing for your family is a top priority. But what happens when you need affordable health care? Christian Healthcare Ministries could save you up to 40% today. As a member, you can choose your provider without network restrictions. Sign up at your convenience with our anytime enrollment. Join a Christian community that supports each other's medical expenses, offering peace of mind as you prioritize what's most important. Enroll now at yourchm.org. News Podcast presents Brett Baer's All-Star Panel. America's got to be in the lead if you want to deal with these threats. We're going to lead. The morning is over. The shiva is done. And if you're a conservative, you should be optimistic. You know, my main priority right now is making sure that it delivers for the American people. We have to make our country great again, and I will do that. I think the president gets criticized by people all the time for the stuff he says, by people who ignore what he does. Now, Fox's chief political anchor, Brett Baer. Brett Baer. More details are coming to light on the classified documents leak as the identity of the suspected leaker has been revealed as 21-year-old Massachusetts Air National Guardsman Jack Teixeira. The leak caused concerns with some of the United States' closest allies, specifically South Korea and Ukraine. The Department of Defense is leading an important effort now to evaluate uh, and review the national uh, security implications and, most important, to conduct a review of the methods of access, accountability, and control procedures uh, that the department has so that something like this can never happen again. And with the deadline to strike a deal on the debt ceiling limit inching closer, Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy made his way to New York to announce that the House Republicans will vote on a bill to raise the debt ceiling through 2023 and to lay out the fiscal goals of the party. For a conversation on this and more, we bring in our panel, Republican strategist, co-founder of the South and Hill Strategies, Colin Reed, senior political analyst, Juan Williams, and Fox News chief national security correspondent, Jennifer Griffin. Jennifer, the leaker, the fallout from this has still really lingered on for a number of days, and we don't have all the details yet. Well, it's very serious. We just had a briefing here at the Pentagon, and they couldn't even tell us if uh, the defendant is going to Airman Jack Teixeira, who's 21 years old, whether he will face UCMJ charges or a military court after he goes through the federal system. According to the federal system, he can only face a maximum of 15 years in federal prison if convicted. There have also been some new details revealed as a result of some excellent reporting by the Wall Street Journal on on a Navy uh, non-commissioned officer who uh, is now retired, but she was working um, out at Whidbey Island, and she had a top-secret security clearance. Her name is Sarah Bills, and she was posting for many years, including on active duty, as a pro-Russian blogger with pro-Putin sentiments, and she, the FBI, is investigating whether she posted four of the classified documents that Teixeira had shared in his initial chat group. So this investigation Investigation is expanding. DOJ is in the lead, but it's not clear what the Pentagon is exactly doing to get their arms around this breach. Colin, do you think people understand the seriousness of of all of this? It's unclear, Brett, because as Jennifer just said, we have so many more questions than answers. And this came during a busy news week and it was a surreal sight. And I think the two things that have left most people scratching their heads are one, 
why did this guy have access to so much information? And two, who benefits from all this? And that will be instructive as to where this debate goes politically and uh, how this is how this is perceived and whether this becomes a political issue. I've it's been noticeable that this issue has been uh, fairly muted on both sides in the political arena right now. And we know from past uh, whistleblowers or leakers, depending on your point of view, uh, Edward Snowden, Chelsea Manning, uh, Bo Bergdahl, of course, Daniel Ellsberg with the Pentagon Papers all those years ago, they became political lightning rods uh, for the left and right. And I, I think we, at this point in time, we still just don't know how that cookie is going to crumble or, or where this debate is going to go in the broader national landscape. Juan, clearly the the focus on the leak and why so many people had access to that kind of act, uh, information is, is a big part of it. But then the other side of it is what what we learned from some of that material about what was happening on the ground in Ukraine. Yeah, let me just start with your initial point, Brett, which is to say I think there is a lot of surprise at the idea that gamers are a prime audience um, for not only digging into secrets and sharing secrets, um, but they, you know, are involved in a lot of, uh, in this case, this group was called Thug Shaker Central, and it's kind of young male bravado, and apparently one of the reasons that Jack Teixeira thought it was cool to do this was to show off to his buddies that he had access to this kind of thing, and it, uh, you know, the pictures were taken on a hunting gun type magazine uh, they're interested in video games, lots of racist memes. That's who this is. It's not some high-flying spy. And that may contribute to the idea that uh, it has not become highly politicized because people don't see him as taking a side so much as being a, a kid, maybe. You know, it's, uh, it's also the case that although we, it seems like some of this could be damaging, much of it is about 100 pages versus, let's say, Snowden, who was just mentioned. You know, that's electronic spying and so it's thousands it's a huge amount of data and information versus what we've seen here from Tashir. Jen is the policy process changing about access I mean do you sense that there's going to be this clapdown this time I mean we didn't see it after Snowden. Well see Brett here's the thing they've they've done a, a they've announced a 45 day review the defense secretary is looking at that and you know right now we've learned incredible figures 1.5 million people have top secret clearances so that you're talking about a massive uh, infrastructure and that was set in place after 9/11 so that there weren't siloed um, uh, intelligence bins that kept people from knowing what was going on and connecting the dots what I've been able to glean about this uh, particular jack to share and of course it's mind-blowing to most people outside the uh, outside the military that someone so young could be given so much responsibility but the way this the, to think of this is this is a young IT specialist who would go from computer to computer in a classified large op center uh, where you would think he would have had more supervision and so what really nobody's been able to explain is how he could sort of linger on these networks and look uh, and and print out these documents because usually these classified printers, they note when somebody is printing and there's a record of it. So that has to be looked at. That was looked at at the NSA and I think was cleaned up at the NSA after Snowden and his uh, breach. He was out at a Hawaii base, remember? So this was up in Cape Cod at an Air National Guard base. But they can't stop doing this work right now. This is the key backbone of the intelligence community that is working, you know, 24-7 about China, Taiwan, as well as Russia, Ukraine, in, in addition to all the 
the other corners of the of the world. Uh, but certainly, the question we asked today that we didn't get a satisfying answer to was why no one in his chain of command at the Air National Guard base had been put on leave or investigated for how he had been so unsupervised and been able to do this. Panel, we'll hold it right there. Yeah, I think there's a lot more than we're probably going to learn in this process. Let me turn to Capitol Hill and this battle over uh, the debt ceiling and this increase. Uh, Speaker McCarthy, Colin, is saying, listen, we're going to vote on it, but we also are going to get some stipulation, something in negotiation. And while the administration wants to decouple and say that differently, they are going to have to come to the table, aren't they? Well, we've been down this road before, Brett, uh, many times before and not that long ago. I think the most recent time is 2011 with a, a Democratic administration and a newly elected Republican Congress who was who were handed a mandate to, in many ways to uh, focus on the nation's fiscal challenges. And back then, the guy at the negotiating table for the Obama administration was Vice President Biden, who is now President Biden and is now refusing to negotiate or even come to the table or have any sort of discussion about spending, which to me seems like a, a really obstructionist point of view. It takes two to tango here. And at some point, these these the, the news coming out of the CBO in recent days has been very alarming. Government spending up 13% in the last year alone, uh, $1.1 our national deficit in the first six months. That's up from $430 billion a year ago, almost doubled. And at some point, the Biden administration's view on this cannot just be, I'm going to refuse to negotiate, I'm going to refuse to uh, identify any cuts, and I'm just going to demagogue Republicans. But that seems to be where he's at right now. And at some point, something's got to give. Yeah, one, what do you think? I mean, are they going to give? Uh, not now. No, I think we've got really, you know, early July as the moment that we reach the tipping point, Brett. And, um, you know, they're pointing when people like us call in, they say, you know, look, Republicans and Democrats uh, didn't play this game when uh, the debt ceiling was in danger of being breached previously, certainly not under President Trump. And if you go back to what Colin was just talking about, you know, you think about the time we had a shutdown uh, going back, I think that was less than three weeks in 2013, the nation's credit rating was downgraded even as the economy was recovering from the 2008 financial collapse. Now you got a situation where with the banking issues that recently popped up, uh, there's a greater threat of the U.S. economy going into recession. And now you're adding to that weight, this fear, this potential of, you know, the Republicans saying we must have uh, some deal, some amendments, uh, you know, to the budget, the coming budget, or, we will not approve a hike in the debt ceiling, which would then cause great chaos, not only in our financial markets, that would be global financial financial markets. Now, you know, the it's interesting, uh, Representative Jody Arrington, a Republican from Texas, he's the head of the budget committee, the chair. He was talking about small cuts and possibly prioritization of what we pay out in order to limit the debt ceiling. Treasury Secretary Yellen says prioritization just won't work and says that that's a game and, uh, you know, that haven't done something like that since I think she said 1789. So you can see how hard line it is on the Democratic side. 
I and could Jen, just make one know, point about the uh, the the impact of this uh, debt ceiling debate on military spending. I have one word that will remind people about how devastating this will be in terms of the defense, uh, the, the Pentagon and the defense budget and the military, and that is sequestration. You remember back when this kind of debate occurred and this brinksmanship where it went to the wire and the and they played chicken with the defense budget and they started cutting willy-nilly and it took years to dig out of the readiness crisis that occurred when they, they stopped maintaining airplanes, warplanes, uh, cut, uh, cut the salaries of service members so that it, there were so many delays that it really did lasting harm to the military at a time when the U.S. is trying to sort of enter into uh, great power competition with China and Russia. It's just a very dangerous time with, the, with regards to the defense budget. Yeah, and that's a big deal that they talk about. You know, you had former chairman of the Joint Chiefs, uh, Mike Mullen, once say that the national debt was the biggest threat that we faced um, in the long term. But now when people in the Pentagon and actually on Capitol Hill are looking at defense spending, they're, they're really concerned about the future, aren't they, Jen? Well, they just can't plan, and you can't pay your contracts, and that has a spillover effect into the rest of the economy. Remember, all those towns that have military bases, which are all across the United States, will be impacted uh, by this if there is some sort of sudden freeze or cuts, or you can't move forward with contracts to build planes or ammunition. I mean, there's so much hand-wringing about what the why the military can't move faster and providing weapons to Taiwan. Well, they can't can't do so if you're having this uh, debt ceiling debate and you're freezing the budgets or cutting the budgets. Um, it's really, um, these are long-term contracts that are going to be affected. The U.S. has only technically defaulted on its debt once before, and that was in 1979 due to a bookkeeping glitch. This is a very dangerous game of brinksmanship, and there are a lot of, sp a lot of potential effects. And again, that period of sequestration and the damage it did to the U.S. military, it took years to recover from. Yeah, and Colin, if we remember back, sequestration was kind of the threat. It was sort of like, if you don't do this, this is what's going to happen. And then they actually went to that point, and it happened. And, um, you know, I, it's hard to predict what's going to happen this time. Yeah, and that was not a great period in our history by any stretch. There was the, the credit downgrade, and there was the those negotiations between the uh, the House the House and the, the uh, Obama administration and and uh, I, I don't think that's a situation that anybody uh, is looking to, toward replicating. Uh, but it seems to me the Biden administration uh, doesn't ever get pushed on what its plans for the budgets are. It, the, the president likes to point fingers, blame his predecessor, accuse Republicans of wanting to cut Medicare and Social Security, but never get pushed uh, on what his or his proposal is and what he proposes to do for a national debt that soars ever higher and a, and a national deficit that, again, one point one trillion in just the first six months of fiscal 2023 alone. Last word, Juan, you think it'll get to conclusion here? Well, it has to. I mean, you know, one of the things I think we can all agree on is the reason that Kevin McCarthy, the speaker, was in New York today was to say to the financial markets, we understand that there is no way that we should allow the, the uh, U.S. economy to explode, and we don't plan to do it. We are not arsonists. We are legitimately concerned about the size of the U.S. budget, and um, and we are trying to get a deal of some kind. Uh, he, you know, he has some things that he put forward. 
you know, things like, you know, a freeze on spending at last year's level, tens of billions of uh, dollars from the pandemic money to try to grab, claw it back, as they say, more requirements on food stamps. But we're not even sure that he can get agreement from Representative Arrington, the head of the budget committee, or from the Freedom Caucus. You know, there's there's so many divisions, not just between the Republicans in the House and the Biden administration. First, he's got to say to his fellow Republicans, this is a deal that we have to endorse to maintain our own uh, voice here, Brett, uh, and say that the problem is the refusal of the Biden administration to negotiate with us. All right, panel, thank you. Now for a bit of history quickly. On April 17th, 1961, a group of Cuban exiles with the help of the U.S. government landed in Cuba with hopes of overthrowing the communist government in what is now known as the Bay of Pigs invasion. The invasion of Cuba was quickly put to an end by the Cuban army under the direct command of dictator Fidel Castro. He captured all surviving rebels within two days of the beginning of the assault. The military campaign created further tensions between the United States and Cuba and would eventually lead to the Cuban Missile Crisis in 1962. That'll do it for this week. You can hear more of this series at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Make sure to leave a rating and a review. We want to hear from you. For Colin and Juan and Jen, I'm Brett Baer. We'll see you next time. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app.